edition of the Daily Sun Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Shane, specialty editor at the Daily Sun. Joining me, as always, Drew Schultry and Cody Hills. It is a huge week for basketball in our area. We have regional semifinals and regional finals, and in the case of the Wildwood girls, the state final four once again. And uh, we will cover all of that. It's uh, also uh, a good state report from the VHS weightlifting, the girls weightlifting team coming back from Lakeland over the weekend. We'll talk about that as well. Later on, we will have the coaches of VHS and Wildwood boys as Colt McDowell and DJ Lyle sit down with Drew Shaltry in a round table. It turns out that Colt and DJ uh, have a long history, a good history with each other, and they open up about that, a really interesting segment, and then we will wrap up with golf. It is the return of Tiger Woods. It is the continual dominance of John Rahm, and we have a new co-leader on the all-time wins chart on the PGA Tour champions. Lots to take care of there as well, but let's go back to basketball and the uh, regionals and states that are coming up. We will start with the VHS boys. They play a regional semifinal tonight as we uh, record on Tuesday morning, as we usually do. They beat Bishop Moore last week to get to the state semifinal. They play North Marion tonight, looking to get into that Elite Eight. And Cody Hills, you were there for the win over Bishop Moore. How are they looking? Looking really strong, Jeff. Looking like a team on a mission. And Sam Alters is looking like the type of player that you want this time of year. You know, the, the old coach speak is you always want your best players to play their best brand of themselves at the biggest time of the year. And, and Sam Alter certainly did that. 34 points the other night against Bishop Moore. Did so much else beyond that, too. I mean, when, when double teamed, was able to find outlet passes, uh, rebounded the basketball. He did so much and, and clearly brought the energy. I think I had him down for a half a dozen dunks in the game, which got a just about a capacity crowd inside the VHS Athletic Center to their feet multiple times. And when, when you're getting that type of effort out of your stud, out of your star, you know, as uh, Coach Colt McDowell told me, it's contagious. There's synergy involved, and, and they start feeding off each other, and they really did. And then it carried over from that energy. It directly correlated, I think, to the defensive end where they were extremely sharp, held Bishop Moore to just 31% shooting, out-rebounded them by 14 or 15 on the glass, just did a lot of the things that you have to do this time of year to advance on to the next round. We talked last week about Sam Walters, his role in all of this, uh, the center of attention in all of this. And it looks like, I don't know, you were there, I wasn't, but uh, whatever Bishop Moore did to maybe try to neutralize Sam Walters didn't work all that well. As soon as the ball is tipped off, if the Buffalo win the tip, if Sam Walters win this, wins the tip and it goes back to point guard Alvon Isaac, the first thing I do is look at the defense right away, first possession. How is this team on this particular night going to cover Sam Walters? And Bishop Moore came out, I think, boxing one right away, so a zone look and then having one player just kind of trail Sam Walters around. And right away he was able to get up an, an open look three-pointer on the first, second possession. Um, it didn't go down for him, but it was like, okay, he's going to have opportunities. The, the one player they had on him, Alex Madrid, gave up a few inches of height to him. And so you knew he would have opportunities. And that's sort of the thing is it's always interesting to see how they – 
want to play him and then it's how does he adjust how does he sort of attack it does he turn the switch on flip that switch and become an aggressor does he turn into a facilitator last Thursday night he turned into the aggressor and was very aggressive throughout going through at times that box look going through that zone look cutting through two or three defenders at once picking up his dribble and, and taking a hard step towards the hoop you know went to the line several times just based off sheer willingness to absorb contact alone so uh, I'm going to be interested to see what North Marion does uh, tonight here in this regional semifinal, just because I think the, the matchup's quite different. But yeah, it's just a matter of Sam Walters knowing that he's going to be the target, as we've talked about all year, and him just flat out not caring, Colt McDowell, the head coach, not caring, the Buffalo teammates not caring. They know that they've still got to find a way to give him the ball. You do not want to be eliminated and have your season end and look back and it be because that you didn't at least want to try to give him the ball. Regardless of what the defense is doing, you still got to try to play your game and force feed him. The Buffalo did it against Bishop Moore, and it paid off in big success. Not only are we talking about what could be, if you lose, it's the final game of the season. It would be the final game of Sam Walter's career. He wants to go out with guns blazing, right? Y- yeah, that's a good point. You know, I've seen him because he's such a high competitor. I've watched him the last, you know, two, well, his here's freshman year, gone his sophomore year, back for these last two, and I've got to see him quite a bit during the off-season cycle and playing on traveling teams. I've just been able to really chronicle his journey. And I'm not sure I've ever seen sort of this, this sounds kind of cliche, but this sort of just look in his eye, this this intensity, this this energy, this focus. I mean, if, if the Buffalo are to be bounced tonight, if they're to be bounced in the regional final, in Lakeland, wherever they go, I mean, I, I'm willing to bet the farm which means a lot coming from Iowa. Yes. But I'm willing to bet the farm that it's not going to be because Sam Alters didn't give it, you know, give it his all. He, d- he didn't put the team on his back and try. I mean, there's something right now about the way he's seeing the floor, seeing the game, trying to bring the energy and trying to bring these guys along with him right now that if, you know, he is not going to be the reason that this thing goes south. And that's not to take off anything from the other guys, not to even put more pressure on the other guys, but I think that's just fact of the matter, that the way he is right now, that just kind of the steeliness that he has to his game right now, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon if he has anything to say about it. What do we know about North Marion, and I suppose what do you think North Marion might try to bring to neutralize Sam Walters? Well, they're going to bring Sammy Yene, who is a top 100 player nationally, could be a potential future teammate for Sam Walters. Uh, Alabama is one of the major offers he has. Uh, looking over some of his scouting profile on the rival scouting network, uh, Alabama actually has a medium interest offer compared to a couple others like Florida who have a low offer. So that'd be fun to see if these two are teammates here yeah. in the next couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, he's averaging 21 points a game, 13 rebounds a game. He's going to match the height. I mentioned the, the fun matchup here and seeing what they're going to do. North Marion is going to try to get the Buffalo – out of what they want to do, right? VHS wants to run up and down the floor. They feel like they're athletic. They've got the wing players to run and, and be successful with it. Alvon Isaac running the point. Problem is North Marion's built exactly for that. These are, as Colt McDowell told me, a bunch of football guys who also play basketball really freaking good. They want to run up and down the floor. They don't shoot it particularly well. Uh, they're only shooting about 22% from three. They're shooting below 60% from the free throw line, and they're only about 40% from the field as a team. So the way that they're going to bite you is to run in transition. They're going to press. They're going to try to turn you over, run up and down the floor in transition, and get some fast break points. The Buffalo want to do that as well. So, But I think, and this is just me speculating here, but I think the Buffalo actually are going to go ahead and try to slow this game down a little bit. They know that they're a better shooting team. They know I, I think that there would be a better, they're a better half-court offense team. 
They have no problem sticking their heels in defensively in the half-court situation. I'm not going to say they completely want to slow it down a la like Wisconsin basketball or get super slow here, but I don't think they want to run up and down the floor because I think North Marion's game to match them. And that's a situation where I think you start then getting into depth because guys are going to get gassed a little more. Both teams have extremely good levels of depth. They're both athletic, but I think it would behoove the Buffalo to slow this one down a little bit. Don't need to turn it into a rock fight. Just be more methodical with it. And if they do that, I think they have a really good chance. Like I said, shoot the basketball well, play good defense like they have been. And I think it's a chance for them to find a, a different way to win. And if you do that, you start looking at a regional final matchup, maybe against either Santa Fe or, or Coco two teams who also want to get out and run. If you can figure out a way to win tonight, kind of getting away from what you're used to, I think it only behooves them going forward. Tip-off, 7 p.m. tonight at the VHS Athletic Center, and uh, the Buffalo playing for a spot in the regional final. Let's turn to Wildwood, who is in the regional final, playing to punch their ticket to Lakeland and the state final four with the boys. They beat the Vanguard School of Lake Wales last week and play Williston tonight. For that trip to Lakeland, Drew Shaltry, uh, how is this team shaping up? I mean, they've played their best basketball of the season late here down the stretch, and it's just a question of can they beat Willison. I think that they're talented enough to do it. I think they match up decently well with this team, but we haven't seen them do it yet this year. They've lost to them twice already, once in that district final. So I, I think that they're battle-tested. I think that they're you know, doing all the things you want to see a team doing. They're playing their best basketball right now, but it's just a matter of can they get over this hump of this one team that has kind of bothered them all year. So I certainly think they're capable of doing it, certainly capable of going to Lakeland. And if they get there, I think that they'd – be right in line for a state championship but they've got to do it they've got to beat the red devils and we're going to see tonight if they can they are playing for the third time the first time was at williston the second time was close to williston but the wildcats finally get them at home how much of a difference does that make and then also in that last game Williston threw a 1-3-1 defense at them kind of shook them up took them out of their rhythm a little bit it won't be a surprise this time around. How does that uh, change the dynamic? Yeah, well, this one's going to have to pull a different trick out of the bag if they want to catch Wildwood off guard in that particular way. I know that Wildwood has worked specifically on that 1-3-1. They practice against a, a couple of different zone defenses. They've seen a lot of zone looks throughout the season. So it wasn't necessarily that they don't know how to handle that particular defense. It's just like in that moment, it caught them so off guard, end of a quarter, middle of a big run, and just kind of took them out of it for long enough for Williston to build up that lead that ended up winning them the game. Tonight, I think it's going to be a little bit different. I think Wildwood's going to come with a lot of energy. I know that you know they took that loss very, very personally the second time around. And being at home, when you talk about a great basketball environment, and Cody can attest to this as well, the atmosphere in the woodshed on big playoff nights like this, especially when there's a team like a Hawthorne or a Williston or somebody that comes to town and there's some, there's some history, even if it's just within that season, that place tends to get loud. And I think that way more often than not, those results tend to go Wildwood's way when they can kind of feed off the energy of the crowd. And this is very much a momentum team. We see them when they get into these stretches, they can just dominate a game and they feed off of energy from each other, energy from crowds. So I think that If the woodshed is at kind of peak capacity and the crowd is doing all the things that they usually do in big games like this, we could see some of those runs where Wildwood has kind of put teams away. They've done it to teams like Leesburg. They did it to Vanguard last week. 
I think that they're going to be set up to do the things they need to do to win this game. It's just a matter of whether or not they can execute and get it done. For those that are going to the woodshed, what do they look for tonight? Well, what killed Wildwood last time was rebounding. They're a smaller team. We know that they struggle with this against a lot of programs. And so what we've seen since that district final is, I mean, in just the one game, but it's been an emphasis in practice, is they are really, really attacking the boards. They understand that they can't afford to give up, you know, 18, 19, 20 offensive rebounds because I think in the first half, Williston got like 18 points off of them just on offensive rebounds. So take those points away. Wildwood's winning comfortably at halftime after being down pretty bad early on in that one. So I think that the energy uh, in that particular facet of the game has gone way up. And that's also going to mean battling with Kyler Lamb, who has kind of, you know, been the the biggest problem for Wildwood in both of these matchups. He's not a huge player, not a Sam Walters height type guy, but he's about 6'5", long arms, block shots, gets a ton of rebounds. He's almost like a uh, a discount version of what Joe Poyser was for the Wildcats back in 2021. Plays this, the same kind of game. Uh, he's got a little bit more of a jump shot. He had a couple shots from outside against them in that district final. So he's a, a guy that they struggled to match up with a little bit. So uh, if they can, you know, kind of do what they've done to a lot of the better players on teams, what they did to Roll Judson Lacassad on Thursday, where they kind of go at a player, use the guards to get that mismatch and, and put a guy in foul trouble, I think that that can make things a little bit more even for them, but Kyler Lamb is a guy that they're going to have to fight with both offensively and defensively all night. Also a 7 p.m. tip-off at the Woodshed. Again, Wildwood playing for a spot in the Class 1A Final Four. Let's turn to the Wildwood girls who have punched their ticket to Lakeland. They will play Wednesday night in the state semifinal. They beat Trenton in the regional final last week. They bring them for a third time. And now in the state semifinal, they take on Graceville. This team is really on a roll. Yeah, they're on the same kind of terror as Wildwood. They're winning by you know huge margins, especially since we've gotten into the playoffs. I think their average margin of victory is something like 44 over the course of the district and regional playoffs. So they're coming in with the same kind of momentum. They're the same kind of dominant force in 1A this year. But they play a very, very different style of basketball. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of wins out. Graceville's got a little more height. They play a little bit slower. They're a little bit better in the half court. Wildwood, obviously, is all about playing off of those two speedy guards. They're good in transition. They want to get out and hound you with a press. So it's going to be a matter of which team is kind of able to overcome what the other one does. I think that you could maybe say that the advantage lies a little bit to Wildwood because the first thing that Graceville has to do is break that press. And if they can do that and they can get them into the half court, they can kind of slow the game down. It's a lot like what Ponce de Leon did to them last year in the state championship game. So how can Wildwood kind of handle that if they get dragged into a game that's going to be, you know, a 35 to 30 finish or something like that? When they're used to, you know, getting out and running, scoring eight to 10 times a quarter, if this is a game that has to be played in the half court, how are they going to handle it? This is a more veteran Graceville team. We've talked about how young Wildwood is. So if you get into a situation where they're kind of forced out of their comfort zone, I'm interested to see exactly how they're going to react. We talked about this Wildwood team being so young, weren't quite sure if they had what it takes to get to the state final four. Obviously, they've shown that they definitely do. How are they kind of handling this? There are only a couple of players that were at Lakeland last year. 
Well, there were a handful that were at Lakeland. There were a couple, of, couple, watching. Of, a couple <laughs> of JV call-ups that, yeah, never touched the floor in the RP Funding Center. But I think that they all kind of understand that while they've maybe exceeded expectations a little bit just based on how young they are, they also realize how hard it is to win and you may not get that many shots at it. I mean, Trinity Harris has been part of a couple of heartbreaks. They were the top seed in 1A and still bowed out to Hawthorne in that regional final her first year on the team. Obviously, they came up within a point of that championship last year. And a lot of those girls got to witness that with courtside seats. And they kind of saw in the locker room those seniors have to walk out of the building without ever having won a state championship, despite being the best team in 1A for a span of three years. Getting that one chance, really, to go to Lakeland and coming up that short. And so I think that they kind of understand that while, yes, they are young and they will probably be back here, that there are no guarantees. And so there is a little bit of pressure. There's a little bit of understanding that, you know, they need to make the most of this opportunity. And if they're not ready to do it, then they're not ready to do it. But it's not something that you can kind of take for granted that you have this opportunity, that you're two games away, 64 minutes, as Vince Brown says, from potentially lifting that trophy. That tip-off tomorrow night, Wednesday night, 8 p.m. at the RP Funding Center in Lakeland. Anybody that wants to make that trip, but uh, this could be a very special Wildwood girls basketball team. One team that came back from Lakeland with some medals was the VHS Weightlifters, and that includes a state runner-up silver medal from Kaylee Sosnowski, one of three medalists that brought home a total of six medals from Lakeland. Yeah, we talked, I think, last week just about what an opportunity for Kayla Sosnowski to kind of close out her career. She's kind of been the the muscle. Go for it. Yeah, I went for it. <laughs> kind of in the heart and soul of this team here these last couple of years. So for her to finish runner-up, and I mean, I know, I know who she is as a person. I know who she is as a competitor. Obviously wanted a little bit more, but just great to see her, you know, finish that runner-up spot in the in the Olympic discipline. She was only five pounds away from a gold medal. Yeah, yeah, and that's and has a state record to boot. Yeah, so I mean, not bad. So uh, definitely not a bad weekend for her. Jordan Simpson as well. Good friends with her father Tim, and and um, you know, I know how much uh, how much Jordan has worked throughout her career, and you know, she obviously does the swimming as well here at VHS, and then uh, the weightlifting for her as well has has really come on, and she's kind of found a passion for that. So. Uh, a pair of sixth place finishes for her. And then uh, Kayla Murphy as well, picking up a pair of sixth place finishes at, at the 110 class. So, you know, good for them. Good for them getting on the podium. I think the Villages finished eighth as a team in the Olympic uh, in the Olympic team standing. So uh, didn't quite make it on the on the top 10 board for the team in the, in the traditional lift, but in the Olympic finishing eighth. As we've said, you know, it's a really good run, a continuation of this run. And we'll see, you know, we, we've kind of talked about how this has become a, a competitive thing now. It's not just something else these girls have done for other sports they come in and want to compete and want to set PRs personal records and and get to ring that bell inside the weight room and so certainly with Kaylee Sosnowski leaving we'll, we'll see who kind of picks up the slack going forward but a really good showing for them I'm happy for Myrick Geist taking that program over from Justin Taylor he obviously knows what he's talking about being a football coach and, and a big-time weightlifting guy himself so the technique is, is really sound throughout the room, and just a congratulations to all those girls for a really good season. They sent nine lifters in all to Lakeland, so it's a program that has really kind of established itself the last few years. Yeah, it has. I think when I first covered them, uh, you know, three, four years ago, you know, now they, you know, they had had only maybe three or four in their entire program history get to the state tournament, get to the state meet, and now you're talking sending, you know, nine this year, you know, eight, I think the year before, or maybe the year before that. So, I mean, handfuls are going now, and that's what you love to see. 
And then finally, it's the start of the season for VHS Baseball. And Cody, you were out at uh, their opener. It was uh, on the road in a uh, tournament-type setting, but Alex Menendez chalks up a win in his debut as VHS coach. Yeah, first victory for the Buffalo Skipper in his first time out. The vibes are definitely different. You know, Brady Bogart, uh, the departed head coach, now the pitching coach of the University of North Florida, um, the way that this team is going to be operated now is quite different. Just different vibes, a little bit, little bit more loose, a little bit more relaxed. Not that the guys didn't respond to Brady Bogart at all, you know, but it's a different way now that they're responding to Alex Menendez. I think more of a, a player's type coach. I saw that the way he was interacting with them last night, but a really strong, uh, strong performance to open the season against Deltona. Tommy Jakes came out nine up, nine down to start, 10 strikeouts and four and a third for him in his first career varsity start. So that's pretty good. Uh, I think the lefty was really commanding his fastball really well and then started br- uh, mixing in the breaking ball second time through the order. And then the bats were good. And I think the, the bats are going to be good throughout the year. You know, Torrin Foley had uh, two doubles, three hits. Carter Parks with, with a couple hits and three RBIs. And then Marcello Cortale out of that three spot. This is the guy who didn't even play at all last year, was going through some injuries, never could quite get healthy, had some knees bother him, but was out there at practice every day, you know, doing what little things he could. Sort of served as like a team manager, player manager type deal. And has now not only jumped into this thing, but as the starting right fielder, hitting third in the lineup. I think he had a uh, two-run uh, single that he advanced to second on a throw last night in a key moment late in the game. So good for him, good for this Buffalo uh, baseball team. And, yeah, really good performance for them. And we didn't even see their top two pitchers last night, Carter Parks and Ruben Barron. I imagine we'll see uh, one of those guys this afternoon here against Eustis. They'll pick back up at 4 p.m. in the David Lee Memorial Classic. And uh, that will take care of it for a uh, very strong week for the VHS and Wildwood programs. And uh, good luck to all of the basketball teams as they play tonight, tomorrow night, and hopefully beyond that as we go further into the week. When we come back, we will have Colt McDowell and DJ Lyles as they sat down with Drew Shaltry and talked a little bit about, well, lots of things. Basketball, their own personal history with each other, life in general, perhaps. And then uh, after that, we will talk some golf and uh, the end of the West Coast swing with a very familiar name atop the leaderboard. All that right after this. With 24 first-place decorations in the 2019 Florida Press Club Awards, The Village's Daily Sun brings first-class journalism to the nation's fastest-growing community every day. Stay informed with the nation's fastest-growing newspaper. Subscribe to The Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Welcome back to The Daily Sun Sports Podcast. Drew Shaltry still with you, and I'm actually very excited that we're finally getting to do this segment, something I've been trying to get together for a while. I'm actually sitting down with... Colt McDowell and DJ Lyles, the head coaches at the Villages and Wildwood for the boys' basketball teams there. And, guys, I'm happy that we finally got in the same room. We've been trying to put this together for about a month and a half. But uh, just thank you both for being on the program here today. Yes, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. Good to be with DJ, too. Coach McDowell, obviously, uh, you've been on the program before, DJ. This is your first time. I've told you not to be nervous. It's all right. It's going to be a fun conversation. Both of these guys have got their teams deep into playoff runs right now. We're into the regional playoffs for both Wildwood and VHS, as we just talked about on the podcast. For context, we're recording this Monday afternoon. We're going to release it Tuesday. Both of these guys, their teams are going to play regional games tonight. So, you know, context might change a little bit. So hopefully you're getting to this early. But we're going to talk about some big picture stuff as well. So just going to jump right into that. You guys know each other from prior to coaching against each other here this year. Does one of you or both of you kind of want to explain how the two of you first met here? So we both grew up in this area, you know, DJ and Wildwood, um, Danelle and and me uh, in the Villages, Leesburg area, right? Um, I graduated high school in 1998. 
right. um, was able to play college basketball uh, at a small school in Georgia for four years. And when I came back and started coaching, teaching and coaching at Leesburg, towards the end of my coaching, DJ was still playing at Wildwood and at Donnellan. Also, you know, I continued to play and, and, and play competitively. And, you know, uh, you know, guys like P.J. Foster that are on our staff and Marquez Porter and those guys, they know him and, and always in the same gyms. You know, he was towards the – right when I was finishing up really playing a lot, he was really getting into playing and going to college to play. And so, you know, we've known each other since we were both players. Um, you know, I was a coach player at that point. He was still a player. But uh, being at open gyms at, you know, the old uh, Boys and Girls Club on, on 44 um, to, to the city gym in Leesburg to the church gyms around here, both guys that love basketball and, and love playing um, and now, you know, are involved in coaching. Yeah, a lot of, it seems like there's a lot of mutual respect between you guys, a lot of mutual respect between the programs as well. DJ, just kind of growing up in this area, you know, playing at Donnellan, now coaching at Wildwood, seeing what is happening at schools like Leesburg and Lake Mineola and Forest and, you know, some of these growing programs around the area. What would you say is the biggest difference between basketball now and when you were playing? The, big, the biggest difference for me is I think um, – just there's more skill now. I feel like kids are actually getting with trainers. Well, they're starting. I feel like we're starting to see the peak of kids starting to get with trainers and working out a lot more. When I feel like back in the days, it was like, you know, we just get better by going to the rec and and just playing around the area. So I like where basketball is going. I love what the Villagers is doing. I love like everywhere around here is starting to get better. We have coaches that are like investing in the skill part of the game. I agree with that. I think this is the most skilled generation that we've ever seen of players, not just in this area, but statewide, nationwide. I think all the kids need to play more. You know, like what he said is we used to go and just hoop a lot more and just play basketball. Um, and you get a feel. And there's a, you know, there's a, there's a definitely a, a, a benefit to all the skill work the kids are doing. But I also would like to see kids, you know, play more. And I think some of the programs that you're seeing emerge, they find ways to do that, whether it be open gym, um, scrimmaging in practice and, and, and putting in enough structure and then letting them play. But, um, you know, Forrest, you mentioned, you know, Leesburg's been good for, you know, 30 years. Um, and Sean's continued to, to build off of that, Sean Campbell. Um, but, you know, you know the, the, the South Center, you know, with, with Bryce Williams, and then you had, you know, Wildwood with uh, Marcus Nyblack recently, and Leesburg had Keon Ellis. We had Trey Mann. I mean, man, you know, five years ago, there's two guys that are in the NBA now from here you know that's that's pretty impressive for any area so you know and I think you know our, our kids see that you know and they want to emulate that so um, I'm impressed with what Wildwood's done over the last 10 years as well you know with with the, the state championship runs they've made and, and the schedule they put together and play you know where they play up and uh, and really impressed with, with what DJ has done in his first year this year you know and, and really proud and happy for him that he was able to be the four uh, the 1A you know FACA district coach of the year as well it's it's pretty cool. Well, you mentioned a couple of the schools in this list. You guys are the, the top two teams in the area when you go by the FHSAA rankings. If you look at teams in Sumter Lake and Marion County, you guys are both in the top 100. Yep. Uh, and then you go down the list, but you've got Leesburg, Lake Mineola, Forest, Umatilla, Mount Dora Christian, all teams that are you know highly competitive in that 100 to 175 range. And so you know out of this area, you're talking about a lot of really good basketball. And I love how much this year we got to see a lot of you guys playing those other teams. Mm -hmm. You know, Wildwood playing Mount Dora Christian. Obviously, both of you guys played South Sumter, yep. uh, Leesburg for both of you yeah. I want to ask outside of each other I'm going to take Wildwood and the Villages off the table what do you think is the biggest rivalry for each of your programs I would have to say Leesburg man Leesburg yeah. Yeah. got that little yeah well and growing up at Leesburg um, Wildwood was a big rivalry for us um, as a player you know I played at Leesburg and 
Wildwood was always a big one. Um, for the villages, our biggest rival outside of Wildwood, I'd have to say um, either South Sumter or Trinity Catholic out of Ocala. Um, Leesburg right there, you know, because we've had some, you know, some really good games, but we don't we don't always play them every year. You know, I think a rivalry is kind of a team you play every year. So, um, but, you know, I'd say any of those three. Colt, specifically for you, having played at Leesburg, mm-hmm. does that game mean a little bit extra to you? Oh, the the Leesburg game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is, yeah it's, it's always, absolutely, especially when we go there and play. I mean, anytime, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I bled orange and black for my entire life. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was diehard Leesburg Yellow Jack. I coached there for eight years. I was a, a assistant coach there, head coach there. Wouldn't know where I'd be at without Coach Pat Todd and, and the Leesburg basketball program. Very, very, very much so. And, uh, you know, it is hard. That's sometimes why we don't have it on the schedule every year. Um, there's a lot of emotions that go into that. Yeah. yeah, and it's a program that obviously has had some some state championship mm-hmm. success as well. Uh, obviously, Wildwood's got a couple of titles, uh, Villages, yep. a couple of you know Final Four appearances yep. in the last few years. Hopefully, Final Four appearances for both of your programs coming up in the next couple of weeks here. But wanted to now talk about the rivalry specifically. Obviously, uh, you guys have gone to the one game a year between each other, but yep. I think that that just kind of elevates the stakes yep. of that game. We've seen that series get split a lot. I think when you're talking about just a one and done, mm-hmm. uh, there's a there's a lot of pressure on that yep. game. Did you guys kind of feel that going into that matchup? This this year uh, I feel like I might have felt it a lot more than you know he did it's my first year I wanted I've never beat him like he's coached against me while I played so I wanted to beat him pretty bad yeah. so it, it was a lot going into it for me like I really wanted to yeah I really wanted to get I think it. we'll you know I don't know we haven't talked about scheduling yet but we'll probably go back to home and away next year you know just this year and, and, and trying to figure out you know the the the, the scheduling deal and trying to figure out how to strengthen schedule and make sure it's strong enough and you know, not lose out by a hundredth of a point and, you know, 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A and all that. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, Marty Zero and I are constantly trying to figure out how do we schedule, how do we make sure we, and we tweak that this year. So, um, yeah, yeah, going in the game, I mean, you always want to beat your rivals, obviously. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, we were, we were coming out of the battle. So, um, you know, we, we had been pretty, you know, um, uh, battle tested and, and a little worn down a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we scheduled at Wildwood and at Leesburg after the battle on purpose. Um, cause we knew there'd be a ton of emotion and, um, you know, if things go the way they're looking and hopefully, you know, we can find a way to win against a really good North Marion team on Tuesday, it's a good chance we're gonna have to go to Santa Fe and play up there. Um, very tough environment, just like Wildwood and Leesburg are. And, you know, we want to be ready for that in, in case that happens. And why would that game really helped us in that? So, you know, yeah, I want to win and, and, and put a lot of um, lot into it. But at the same time, I'm just really grateful that we have the opportunity to play a team eight miles away that can help get us ready for the, the state playoffs. Yeah, going going into that game, obviously, you know, both of you guys, there's so much familiarity between the programs, between the players. Obviously, mm-hmm. you guys are pretty familiar with the players on both sides of that matchup. DJ, mm-hmm. going into that one, obviously, everyone kind of knew at that point in the season, Sam Walters was very central to everything that – the villages was doing at that mm-hmm. time, especially for a team like yours that has you know a little bit of a height disadvantage when you're going against a guy who's what six eight six seven what Sam's six <laughs> nine six nine, nine now yeah, yeah so yeah, when nine. you're going up against a guy like that with yeah. as talented as he is you know how do you kind of kind of game plan for for a guy like that coming into your gym? What we wanted to do is we wanted to keep the ball out of his hands and we tried to we know we know who Sam is he can do a little bit of everything uh, there's really no way to stop him we wanted to try to focus on him and 
you know, let let everybody else do what they did. And Alvon, unfortunately for us, Alvon really had a good game that yeah, game. Yeah. And they got some other guys that stepped up and played good defense, like uh, I think little Jared. Yep. The freshman Jared stepped Thompson. up and did really good. Yeah. You know, we, we game plan for Sam. It was, you know, play great help defense on him, yeah. play a little physical with him. But, you know, it's really hard to stop somebody that can, that can ball like that. Well, it was a big improvement from last year when he went into Wildwood Gym and set a school record with, uh, I think it was 40 points in that yeah, game. So, yeah. um, But, Coach, nine years now you've been coaching against Wildwood here at the Villages, plus however yeah. many years you coached at Leesburg. Yeah. Is there a player that you think was the, the hardest or the guy that you always had to kind of circle and be like, we got to figure out a way to, to slow this guy down? Oh, I, yeah, definitely Marcus Knobloch. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was at the coach at the Villages, when I was the coach at Leesburg, it was Demetrius McCray Sr., uh, which is wild. It means I'm getting old. Yeah, now that his son's a freshman, and yeah. I'm I'm looking at scout report, and I was like, man, I not only, you know, I'm starting to coach, you know, his, you know, his cousins actually, Brian Jackson and mm-hmm. and, and Ja'Cory Jackson. I played with their dad when we were at Leesburg, um, so that was weird to get used to that. Then I'm, you know, coaching guys that I that I that I that I played with their dads, um, and then now Meat was actually the first kid that I've coached against dad so just means i'm getting old um but uh yeah demetrius mccray senior was was a handful a handful um for four years and uh marcus Nyblack, you know obviously marcus is super 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 talented and so dang strong and just trying to force him to to take really tough shots was our goal for four years darian wilson um you know when when you know eight years ago when this first started and yep. we got you know the job at the villages um, Darian was was the guy. You know, he was you know he was a sophomore, I think, when Trey and Terry were freshmen, or maybe a junior. But um, those three kind of jumped in my mind. I mentioned earlier that you guys are now kind of going into the most important stretch of the season. Both of you guys making deep playoff runs here mm-hmm. into the late regional rounds, and this is kind of you know standard fare now for your programs. This is where everyone kind of expects Wildwood and the Villages to be at this point in the year. But I think that one of the things that's most impressive to me, having gotten to see a good amount of, of both of your teams this year, is that it's, it feels like right now you guys are both playing your best basketball. Colt, I want to ask you first, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is kind of a, a consistent thing, I feel like, for your programs, getting getting your guys to sort of peak at the right time, getting into the playoffs, playing at their best. What's kind of that process like? Is that something that you did deliberately this year to, to get these guys to this point? What kind of went into that process? Yeah, absolutely, 100 percent this year even more so than than other years because we knew we, were, we had three freshmen that were going to be counted on um in our rotation you know chris washington kamani weathers and uh, jared thompson so sam was our only returning starter that had a lot of varsity sig- uh, significant minutes uh alvon isaac played some um and ben kubek played you know some over the last two years but never neither one of them well ben started some but never of them really started and, and neither of them started a play a district game or a playoff game so we really looked at the beginning of the schedule and uh wanted to challenge those guys and we tried to play anybody from you know some of the bigger classes in orlando and tampa and jacksonville and, and even atlanta that would play us it was really hard <laughs> i think there's a point where we were five and six or five and five and um, you know, getting, you know, beat and having to get ready for the next really good opponent. But all of that was in preparation to try to to get us grown up and get us ready to play our best at the end of the year. Um, also, you know, holding some things back, not necessarily um, like some secret play or anything like that, but holding things back of, you know, when to push buttons and when to push and when to, you know, go really in depth with scouting report and, and, and things that, you know, I, I just feel like kids at any age um, can grasp for, you know, short amounts of time and, 
you know, it's always a building process. We're always trying to build towards the end of the year, and we do. We want to peak and play our best at the end because basketball is a tournament game. That's what I love about it. Even if you go 10 and 15 or 5 and 20, if you can find a way to get in the in the in the district and in the playoffs, everybody's zero and zero, and it's a tournament game. So you want to be your best by the end of the year, and you want to be your healthiest by the end of the year, mentally, spiritually, physically, and that's what we try to do every year. This year, thank the good Lord, we've been you know really we haven't had a lot of physical injury. The locker room has been great. Our leadership has been phenomenal, and that gives you a chance to have a special season. DJ, for you guys coming into this year, first-year head coach, I don't know what the outside expectations necessarily were, but you now got them to a point where they're going to contend for this regional title. I think everyone thinks there's a pretty good chance you guys are going through to Lakeland. It's a, it's a you know good matchup with a team that you guys have played hard a couple times already. And just want to kind of get into your head about how did you guys kind of get to this point? From where you were in the beginning of the season, we know all the struggles that Wildwood always has with getting the football guys back in and, you know, how much of a, a part of the team they are and that there's always kind of that curve at the beginning that you have to overcome. But how do you feel like you got them to this point where it feels like they're legitimate state contenders at this time of the year? Um, well, I feel like the first thing it started when um – like over summer when I first got the job, I just I knew we had the football players and I knew we always had the uh, rep of, you know, wait till the football players came. I just took the guys that were there, kind of built them up and skilled them up until we got until the season, like all summer. We were together, just spent a lot of time grinding them. And then when the football players got back, we put them together. We then we started doing a lot of team bonding, get everybody together and just now the uh, guys that weren't really good last year and didn't get to play as much they could now challenge the starters. So it made practice really competitive. Like you said, we kept everybody stay healthy. We were on them about uh, scratching. We make sure we get a good scratch, good warm up before we practice all the time. Like every month we go out and do something. We do something team bonding to keep everybody, you know, to kind of keep the locker room tight. This year, I don't know from what I hear last year and the year before that this is uh, the tightest the locker room has been. Like everybody's, you know, there were kids that didn't talk to people over the summer that were on the team. And I'm like, how is this happening? You know, we and everybody got together they this year they feel more like a family they don't want to lose for anybody they want to fight for each other so i think that we we've kind of seen the growth especially when you look at the the repeat games when you talk about the first time you guys faced mount dora christian the second time first thing with first game with leesburg second game with leesburg even though those were both close good games i think the the difference in the way that your guys played was there was a significant improvement what do you feel like is the the biggest on court improvement for these guys over the last 3 months they they really bought into letting our offense come from our defense, you know. Then we got a bunch of athletes, a bunch of fast guys, football players that don't really primarily play basketball. So I kind of got it through their head that if we don't play great defense, we're not going to score. So we got to take what we we got to use our defense to score in transition. So just a lot of transition, a lot of defense. They bought into the defense and I think it's showing up right now. Obviously, when you get to this point in the year, you know, the games are getting harder. You've been, you know, working at this for four or five, even seven, mm -hmm. eight months when you go back to the summer with some of these guys. And Colt, over the last 15 plus years, what have you kind of learned about what to do at this point in the season? What's different about coaching in the playoffs? And what do you kind of have to to change or adjust to to what you're doing this time of year to keep being successful? I think, you know, embracing it, you know, that it's fun. And, uh, you know, there is some pressure because if you don't win, you got to go home. Right. And, uh, you know, guys like DJ and I that, that I mean, these guys are our family, you know, and, and for four months out of the year, I see them more than I see my own kids. And uh, I love coaching. I love winning. I want to win, you know, championships, but I love the guys more than anything. So, you know, and just being around them. 
so there is that pressure because you want to stay together and you know but I think you got to embrace it and it's it's we we joke around all the time and call it tourney time and you know you gotta love the moment and and love the competition Um, I think it's important to just stay one day at a time one game at a time one tournament at a time you know the whole thing you know, the state tournament is a series of three different tournaments. There's a district tournament, that's usually for us, and, and DJ two games. Some teams it's three if you've got a play-in game. A regional tournament is a three-game tournament, and then if you're fortunate enough to get to the Final Four, it's, it's just a two-game tournament. So try to stay focused on that. You know, break it into small, manageable steps, um, and then break it into days. And we, you know, today's challenge was to win practice today, and that doesn't really change from the regular season. But then once we get into the playoffs, it's it's managing that pressure and embracing it and using it and channeling it and finding a way to put it into things that are in your control. And, you know, because all of them want to win. I mean, all of our guys, they all fight and they all care about, you know, each other and they all want to, you know, they, all of them have a goal to win the state championship. I don't even think some of them really realize what that means. Sometimes they don't realize the steps it takes or the region we're in or, the you know, the district we're in or all that. But um, they all want to win. And so, you know, finding ways to – help them play to continue to win and, and not be f- afraid of losing. Channel all that energy, all that passion into the controllables, you know, the sprinting back on defense, getting low on defense, the boxing, the crashing, the, the things that they can do even if you're really, really nervous. You know, sometimes it's hard to shoot when you're nervous, but you can do the other things uh, and then let that come to you. And, and then once the game starts, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, hopefully they settle in and just play basketball. Uh, DJ, what would you say your biggest focus with the guys is right now? You know, talking about being one game away from that state final four, getting back to to Lakeland, where kind of the expectations for this team is where they're supposed to be. What's kind of been your biggest focus as far as through these regional playoffs with the team? Uh, the biggest focus for us has been like, you know, teaching them a little bit, a couple things about like IQ and knowing stuff. We let we let teams get on a couple runs on us, and we've been we've been uh, so I've been kind of watching a lot of film with them. We've watched film like two of the last three days and we're learning how to, you know, what we did wrong, why we lose this game. Look at the last one minute and 30 seconds of this. You know, we did great. We played great defense. So guys don't think it's the bad defense. Don't think it's, you know, this or that. It's this one minute and 50 seconds where we, you know, we kind of made a couple blunders and let it snowball. You know, let's just um, let's get together and let's stay together. It's kind of keeping them all together, keeping the energy up and just Letting them, keeping them understanding, like, hey, we're good. We got to go out there and put it on the floor, and it's going. It it comes with those things like getting back on defense. You know, it's not all about skill. It's getting back on defense, getting low on defense, uh, boxing out, rebounding, just playing your hardest while we out there. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you guys so much yeah, for man. doing this. This was a lot of fun for me. Hopefully, I'll get to get you guys back together with a couple of rings on your fingers in a couple of weeks here. <laughs> be great. I received that. So, yeah. So, yes, love to get you guys back together sometime, but thank you for, for being on this week. So Absolutely. Thank we'll you, take, man. Yeah, thank you. We'll take one quick break, and then we'll be back with the final segment on the Daily Sun Sports Podcast right after this. From high school heroes to softball to the latest on the Village's Fairways, the Daily Sun brings you the best in local sports. Stay informed with the nation's fastest-growing newspaper in the nation's fastest-growing community. Subscribe to the Village's Daily Sun by calling 352-753-1119. Wrapping up today with some golf talk, we have to talk about the Genesis Invitational, and of course we have to just get right to it. John Rahm, we've talked about him every week since the beginning of the season, is just unbelievably good. And we already knew this coming in, but another win for... John Rahm this weekend, overtaking Max Homa late in this tournament. 
to secure yet another win in this young season. And Jeff, can you kind of put into perspective the kind of hot streak that John Rahm is on when you take it from the end of last season into the beginning of this one? Well, right now it seems like he can take very few missteps. I won't say that everything is perfect because he did have four tournaments where he didn't win. They were top tens, but uh, just such a strong run. It's, we saw that out of Scotty Scheffler for that two-month period, three-month period uh, about a year ago that ended with the green jacket at the Masters. We've seen it out of Tiger Woods multiple times in long stretches, but right now the way John Rahm is playing and he even kind of admitted it at Riviera. He took that tournament by playing Tiger Woods-style golf, just being relentlessly consistent, no big mistakes, and uh, all of a sudden, he's at the top of the leaderboard. Well, and it is ironic that he won Riviera playing Tiger-style golf when Tiger has never been able to win at Riviera. Very good, <laughs> Playing yes. Tiger-style golf. But yeah, it's it's an unbelievable streak here from Rom, And when you watch how this tournament kind of went. You talked about Max Homo, which was a, it was a great pick by you last week that he should be one of the favorites coming in, uh, having won it in 2021. And he was in position to do so. And when he talked post game, he said, you know, I feel like I didn't really play myself out of it, but that guy's so good. And there's just obviously respect for John Rahm on the tour. We, we know that we've seen how impressed a lot of the guys are, but I think that there's almost starting to become this sort of sense of inevitability when he's out there, and that's something that's very rare. We don't see that with a lot of guys. Obviously, we did with Tiger. I think in stretches, we've seen it with Rory, but I don't think there are a lot of guys that are just automatically, if you're you know three, four strokes up Saturday and Sunday, that you really have to worry about that guy. And I think we could even go back five years to when John was still at Arizona State and playing on a sponsor exemption at the Phoenix Open and playing his way into a top 10 finish there. And that's when everybody kind of sat up and said, okay, we knew he was good in college, but look what he did against the pros. And he came out when he turned professional, very strong at the start. And I think what we had to see out of John was the ability to kind of just become a professional, not take all of the mistakes. And there, you know, even a small mistake in golf can snowball into something. And there was kind of that temper issue that he went through maybe in his sophomore and junior years as a professional. But he learned how to get control of that. He has learned how to take that fire and he's got a ton of internal fire and channel it into his game. And now he is atop the world rankings. We talked about five wins in his last nine starts. I think what was mentioned on the broadcast on Sunday in his last 20 rounds of golf, he has played that in 93 under par which is just, you hate to say it, but that's Tiger-like numbers. Yeah. And uh, you, you always want to hesitate when you try to compare anything to Tiger, but this is that type of run right now. And like I say, even though he's not necessarily going to win them all, he's going to be on that first page of the leaderboard in them all. And we'll see that, I'm sure, in two weeks when he comes to the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Yeah, and he overtakes Scotty Scheffler for that number one spot. We talked about him kind of getting blocked out of it by Rory earlier this year, and then Scotty leapfrogging him with the the waste management a couple weeks ago. But it really does feel right now like he's the number one player in the world. I think it's pretty undeniable at this point. And over the past 
I think, you know, three or four years. He really, if you look just by stats, he's the best golfer on the tour over a, a pretty long period here. So I think that going into the part of the year where we are having him at the number one spot feels right. I like the idea of him being the guy that everyone's chasing because I, I don't feel like we've gotten it properly because in 2020 and 2021 is when he was the number one player in the world. And obviously, you know, golf at that time was shaky. We saw him miss out on a couple of potential wins. Obviously yeah. the, the big one being the Memorial where he got pulled out with a positive COVID test midway through that tournament while he was winning. So I think that it's, it's finally the year that we get to see John Rahm at the top with everyone kind of shooting at him as the best player in the world. And I think that that's going to be exciting. I think, too, that there's a lot of times in golf where the actual world rankings and the eyeball test don't match. And that's because the rankings are two-year rolling results, diminished results over time type thing. And so the, the performances from a year ago, 18 months ago, still count for something. But this, I think right now, the eyeball test and the world rankings match up very, very well. And let's not take Rory, who has a win this year, out of the picture. Let's not take Scotty Scheffler out of the picture. This is going to be really fun as we go through the Florida swing to watch three guys maybe kind of shuffle and change that number one position multiple times yet as we head into the Masters. John Rahm has not been the strongest player in Florida. Scotty Scheffler is the defending champion at Bay Hill. Rory McIlroy lives in Florida and has won Bay Hill. He's won the Players' Championship. This is going to be a really fun stretch coming up this next month. I don't necessarily want to quite put him in the same conversation with those three guys, but I do want to talk a little bit about Max Homa. I feel like we're kind of at a point where we have to start taking him a little bit more seriously yes and, and this is probably not news to people who really follow golf but I think that you know even understanding that Max Holm is now a, a regular staple on leaderboards and stuff like that I think that we've kind of underrated maybe a little bit how good he is and part of that is probably because you know he's thought of as a little bit as a goofball one of the less self-serious guys on the tour but what he's done over the past I'd say year and a half since really since that win. So two years since his first career win uh, at Riviera a couple of years ago, he's at five wins over the last two years. I think that he's in the top 10 in strokes gained over that period. I mean, we're talking about a guy that statistically has been really, really, really good. And obviously the, the thing that everyone always wants to see is can you do it in majors? Do you think that he's kind of ready to, to start contending at that level when we get to the Masters and the U.S. Open and those tournaments that kind of define your status as one of the world's best golfers? I think he can definitely put himself in the mix. I think maybe this next step for him is to be able to show that he can do it outside the West Coast or outside the state of California. Four of those wins have come in the state of California, and he's a California kid, has all the comfort level of being there, and we, we see it with different golfers from different parts of the country. We, we've seen it from kids who are young players from the southeast. Can you do it outside of Florida and Georgia? Can you take it to the west coast? Now can Max Homa bring it to the east coast? There will be some opportunity to be able to do that. I think he's got the game that can play very well at a, at a wide open but difficult course at the Masters perhaps. And one thing that maybe we haven't thought this far ahead, but where's the U.S. Open this year? 
Los Angeles Country Club. You got to put Max Homa in the favorites for that one. But I think that's the next step for him is to take that show on the road and show that he can be just as good outside the state of California as he is when he's home. Well, and we've seen with a lot of guys, sometimes it's just about getting that confidence, seeing yourself be in the mix yeah. in one of these. So maybe what it takes is for him to play well at the U.S. Open this year and then kind of make that breakthrough and say, okay, I was, you know, sec- even if it's second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, in a major with these guys, the next time he's at Augusta or the next time he's, you know, over in England or Scotland for the Open Championship, he's a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more used to having been in that Sunday situation. And so I think that, you know, maybe that'll be a big step for him, even if he can't win it, getting a chance to play a course where I'm assuming he's comfortable. I mean, there's no way he hasn't played California Country Club, uh, Los Los Angeles Country Club to this point. So maybe this will be another growth year for him rather than the emergent year, but maybe just another another big step forward for him. We also do have to talk about Tiger Woods. I feel like every time we see Tiger on the course now, it's less about can he win and more about where are we now with Tiger Woods? And Jeff, based on what you saw from him, This past weekend, what's your analysis of the state of Tiger? He can play very, very well. We saw that in the Thursday round. We saw that in the Saturday round. But where we are now in kind of his, it's been used this week already, semi-retirement, is that he's not been to the point where he can do it for four rounds. The physical demands of walking 72 holes, I do think, take their toll. As I mentioned, I think that it's been a little bit of a surprise that he would pick Riviera to play because it is not the easiest walking course, even if he got a cart ride to the clubhouse. And he didn't, by the way. Nice work by the tournament director to make him do everything that uh, that everybody else had to do. And oh, by the way, I'm joking because the tournament uh, host is Tiger Woods. I would have expected him, honestly, to, to have played Bay Hill or to have played the Honda Classic just to be able to walk a flatter course and really give himself a little bit more of a test. But good for him to be able to play Riviera. I think the Saturday 67 was some vintage Tiger in stretches, not the entire round necessarily, but you can see where he can still be a factor. But in this game against these guys, you got to bring it four rounds, you can not really have a clunker round. You can have three great rounds and one average round, and maybe, maybe you win. But that's what he's kind of spawned as uh, setting the bar so high. These guys are meeting it, and hopefully he'll be able to, to get himself into contention every now and again. But I do think that it is just going to be a difficult thing for him all the way through now. Well, and the other thing is, you know, he's only going to play the biggest tournaments he's not going to show up in the Bahamas or something like that to play a lesser field so uh, he's only going to play when Rory and Scotty and John Rahm and JT and Jordan Spieth and these guys are all competing because he's not getting out of bed anymore for the lower level tournaments he's going to play elevated events he's going to play majors he's going to play the tournaments that have personal significance to him so it's, it's going to be harder and harder for him to compete just because he's not going to make it easy on himself. He's going to play the events that matter most because that's, you know, what he can get up for physically. It is a tough sort of space to to live in when you're physically limited but you're only playing in the toughest 
possible places to play. And that's by your own choice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to see, if Tiger wanted to see himself, well, he always wants to see himself on the leaderboard, but he would have a much better chance at it, again, if he had played the Honda Classic this week because the field is not that strong, but he wants to test himself against the best. And to do that, he had to go to Riviera. I'll be interested to see if he wants to give Bay Hill a shot because it's a flatter course and it's a place that he's won eight times and it's not that far from his home. So we'll see. Moving on from last week's Genesis, we also need to talk about the PGA Tour champions. Bernard Longer, I think we all have thought for a while that this was inevitable, uh, is now tied for the record for career wins. He, he gets to 45, which matches Hale Irwin. Jeff, we've seen this coming for a long while. Just take a moment, please, to sort of explain Bernard Longer's dominance on the Tour Champions. It's the longest stretch of being consistently good. And even though he's now not that type of dominant that he was, say, five years ago. He's 65 years old. And for those of you that are 65 years old listening to the podcast, think of how you feel rolling out of bed in the morning. Bernhard somehow does that, goes out, hits golf balls, walks 54 holes most weeks on the tour, and plays extremely well. Now, he doesn't win as often as he used to. He can only win, he admitted it, can only win on certain type of tight courses, shorter courses that fit his game at age 65. But I tell you what, watching that final round as I did on Sunday, he was the guy who was the most consistent out there, just made no mistakes, was relentlessly in the fairway and let everybody else fall back. And before you know it, Bernard Longer not only wins, he does it by shooting his age. He shot 65 on Sunday to win the Chubb Classic. Yeah, I think that over the last couple of years, obviously we've seen more physical limitations from him as he's ages to be expected, but just it's still the surest bet out there on tour champions, I feel like. It's just day in, day out, Friday to Sunday. I don't know if I remember him playing a bad round <laughs> he in does. the last couple of years. He does. And yeah, but it, I just, <laughs> what, but when I like try to think back, it just doesn't feel like it. It feels like he's always in this 67 to 70 range, and occasionally he can do something like this where he goes down to 65, but it feels like he's just never bad. He's, he's never implodes. He never puts himself in a position to fully lose an opportunity to win, and like I said, it felt like this Hale Irwin record was just, has just been so inevitable for so long because he has been so steady. It's just, it was a matter of time, but again, it, it had to kind, still kind of had to take on father time. Uh, Bernard can't win. I would be very surprised. I'll put it this way. I'll be very surprised to see Bernard win a senior major because those are played on bigger courses that favor the younger, stronger guys. But when you, when you put it on a shorter course, that's very, very tight there's nobody more consistent. And you take a look at the guys who tied for second at the Chubb Classic, Steve Stricker and Podrick Harrington. Those are two guys that we know very, very well that are 13, 14, 15 years younger than Bernhard Longer. And still he finds a way to outperform by playing within his own game. Yeah, it's, it's really, really impressive. Jeff, what do we have coming up this week? We're back to a little bit more full schedule here on the golf calendar. Well, we move the PGA Tour from the West Coast Swing to the Florida Swing, and that begins with the Honda Classic this week at PGA National. And if you want to see the flip side of all of these designated events, 
look at PGA National this week. The big names, the McElroys, the Schefflers, the John Roms, all of those guys, Jordan Spieth, Xander Schauffele, Patrick Cantlay, they got to take some time off because there's another designated event next week at Bay Hill, and then there's the Players' Championship in two weeks. So where is the opportunity in the schedule? Unfortunately for them, and I love the people at PGA National with the Honda Classic. I have known them for decades, but they are in one of the worst spots on the schedule. And so the uh, field for the Honda Classic has just three of the top 20 in the world rankings, and those three are numbers 18, 19, and 20. Sung J.M., Billy Horschel, and Shane Lowry. Now, Shane Lowry is a semi-local. He does keep a home in Palm Beach Gardens. Billy Horschel is a Florida guy and uh, does really try to support the Florida tournaments. But uh, guys like McElroy and Cantlay, these are guys that actually live 30 minutes from PGA National and yet cannot really enter that event because of the requirements that they're going to need to play not only last week, but next week and the week after. And I guess I should also mention in wrapping up the Honda Classic, this will be the last Honda Classic. Not that the tournament necessarily is going away, but Honda has said, we're out. If this is the way it's going to be with designated events, we are going to take our 40-year sponsorship and end it. And that's kind of an unfortunate thing. Now, they will find another sponsor to fill that spot. It is too good a tournament in too good a place to uh, not be able to pull that off. But Honda is out there. Now, as far as I know, they're going to keep that LPGA sponsorship in Thailand as the uh, LPGA comes back from a four-week hiatus to begin their Asian swing that they have in the spring. And uh, we're going to see five of the top ten make their season debuts, including Lydia Ko, who didn't really make her calendar year debut because she won last week at the Aramco Series event over in the Middle East. So she comes in off of victory. But Jin Young Ko is going to be there. Uh, Minji Lee, the uh, U.S. Women's Open champion. So a really strong field for that opener as well. Nana Kurtz Madsen is the defending champion there. A uh, little bit of LPGA news as well. Suzanne Pedersen today was announced that she will remain as the European Solheim Cup captain in 2024. That makes back-to-back -back years for Suzanne because we're in this transitional period where we're adjusting the schedule because of the pandemic. The Ryder Cup is going back to odd-numbered years, and so the other ones are going back to even-numbered years, and so the Solheim Cup will play this year in Spain. That will be Stacey Lewis captaining the U.S. and Patterson captaining Europe, and now when the Solheim Cup plays the very next year in 2024 back at Robert Trent Jones Golf Course in Virginia, Suzanne Pedersen will be the European Solheim Cup captain there. And are you ready, Drew, for the LIV golf opener? Now that we have all the cuts made, all the rosters finalized, they will tee off at Mayacoba down in Mexico, a former PGA Tour site. This will be their season opener. Who yeah, do you like? Can't wait to see the seminal cultural legends that are the aces. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin Johnson. Patrick Reed, 
they actually they took their championship roster and they made a change. They uh, let Taylor Gooch go in free agency, and Peter Uline, the former U.S. amateur champion, is going to fill the fourth slot there for the fourth aces. And uh, Taylor Gooch did hook on with the Range Goats, and that's Bubba Watson's team. And uh, he also was able to get Thomas Peters, who uh, is a former European Ryder Cup player. Phil Mickelson's high flyers. Brought in Brendan Steele as their fourth for this year. And uh, Danny Lee joins the Ironheads that is captained by Kevin Na. If you hadn't put names of players on that, you could have given me all of those details. And I would have thought you were talking about the XFL, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of XFL-ish, it is, is it a little not? Bit. Yeah, in spirit, I suppose so. So uh, that's it for this week, though. That's it for golf. That's it for the podcast. Thank you to Jeff for for everything always every week and Cody for coming in to talk preps. Thank you very much to Colt McDowell and DJ Lyles for sitting down with me. That was a fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to one or both of them about a championship coming up. Good luck to all of our basketball teams this week as they get deeper and deeper into the postseasons. Hopefully we'll have more positive updates for you next Tuesday, but that is it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you're on Google play, Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, please like rate review. We appreciate all of those things always and we'll be back with more for you next week and until then we'll see you out on the playing fields <laughs> <laughs>